tonight. God, I pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts, Lord, that you would open our minds, Lord, that you would open our spirits to the word of God. God, I pray, Lord, that it would just come out um, just as, as, as vivid as possible, Lord. I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be sharpened, Lord, that our minds would uh, just receive today. God, I pray, Lord, that you would just touch my body. Lord, be with me. God, anoint me. God, cover me under your, your grace tonight. God, will give you the praise that everyone said. Amen. And so I'm so glad you're here. And uh, Tristan, if you'll do me a favor when you get a chance, can you close that back door for me right over there? Uh, they're having parties on, in the classrooms and say, why don't we have a party? Ours was on December the 3rd. We have the church party. And so, uh, but I'm glad that you're here. And uh, if you have your Bibles, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We've been going through the book of Corinthians, this church in Corinth who had a lot of a lot of issues, and uh, this is a, uh, a, you know, some would say a very controversial uh, chapter in the Bible. Uh, do you know not the verses, the, if, if God allowed Paul to write this, come on, how many know it's all good? We all need it, right? Whether we realize it or don't real, realize it. So, but it's interesting, after going through the green pastures of, of chapter 13, he talks about love and what love is. And, uh, uh, we get to the rocky, thorny terrain of chapter 14, and it's, it's important to note, just to give you a, a reference here, the Corinthian church, they, they were having revival. Things were happening. Um, it was a church that was moving, but it, it had some issues. How many know we all got some issues? All right, and there was carnality. There was quarreling amongst people. There was idolatry. There was selfish ambition. And that's why I speak, uh, Paul speaks on love and, and what it is to help, help them. You know, uh, love helps us realign. When we get off track, you know, have you ever had a bitter attitude so, towards someone? Do you know love will put you back in, in line to where you need to be, right? How many have ever gotten a, a fight with your spouse? Come on, raise your hand. I know you've gotten in a, in a fight with your spouse before, but love helps you realign, right? You think back to remember, hey, I remember why I married this person right now. I'm not very happy with them, but I remember why. And, and you get in alignment. So, you know, here the Corinthian church, it's pulling one direction. And, and Paul says, hey, we need an alignment. We need to get straightened back up here because we're, we're going off track. So Paul speaks of the gifts of the Spirit. And so in chapter uh, 12, verse 8, uh, he is where we first see these, well, not first see these verses. As a matter of fact, uh, these seven uh, manifestation or gifts. I'm going to use that word interchangeable tonight. Manifestation, gifts. Everyone, okay, it's Christmas time. How about we just say gifts? Everyone say gifts. All right, number one, prophecy, number two, ministry, number three, teaching, number four, exhortation, number five, giving, number six, ruling, and number seven, mercy. Now, this list is, is coming from uh, the book of Romans, and it is a, a little bit more comprehensive, comprehensive list, but in chapter 12, he talks about this. The very first one that he mentions in chapter uh, 12, verse 8, is the gift of spiritual gift, ready, wisdom. Everyone say wisdom. All right, let me help you out here. If you're going to operate in the gifts of the Spirit, you ought to start with the first one, the gift of wisdom. Oh, it's quiet in here. That means this. You ought to know when to use it, when not to use it. When is appropriate, when is not appropriate, all right? And so uh, I found that very interesting. For without wisdom, check this out, we will be out 
of line. Right? And so chapter 13 tells us we must operate in love. So, so uh, these gifts are, to be, are not supposed to be used out of line, you know, and, and will be out of line when we, when we use them, when we don't use wisdom and when we don't use love. All right? And so thus making them uh, push people away from the Holy Spirit. And it ought not be that way because if we're operating in proper use and, and, and direction of the Holy Spirit, guess what? It will draw people to, to them, okay? So, uh, and so we'll look at that. So let's look at this. If you need a subheading here, the first thing that we're going to talk about is prophecy in tongues. And ver, uh, verse 1 in chapter 14 says, pursue love. Everyone say pursue. <clears throat> what are we pursuing? Number one, pursue love. We just talked about it in chapter 13. And earnestly desire the what? All right, so we're supposed to go after two things. What are they? Love and spiritual gifts, all right? Two things. So he tells them pursue means this, to hasten, to run after, to aspire to. And these two things are are love. And and here's the thing. Man, we, we all need love, right? Right? We all need love. Uh, the second is spiritual gifts or manifestations, and, and, and this is what we need to understand. I, for the life of me, cannot understand how some people try to uh, talk these points away or try to push the book of Acts away. When this verse, with Paul, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, starts us with pursue love and pursue what? The gifts, he tells us straightforward what we should be doing. And so uh, they were abusing tongues there and, and prophecy in, in the Corinth church and in that setting. So, But Paul doesn't tell them, hey, dismiss these things. No, 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 no. It's not what he says. He, he doesn't tell them or deny them to use them. He tells them, hey, to desire or to pursue them, right? Um, you know, and I used this example a few weeks ago. Some people are uh, morbidly obese, but when, when you see someone that's morbidly obese, guess what? You don't stop eating. Why? Because if you stop eating, you will what? So someone who's morbidly obese, right, they abuse eating, right? But if done properly, you'll be nourished and you'll live strong, right? And, and so it's, uh, it's the answer to abuse is not use but proper use, all right? Everyone say proper use. And the church in Corinth was, was abusing and misusing these gifts. They, they misunderstood the principi- uh, principles of ministry. And the answer was not to shut down the Spirit of God, but to use these gifts, these manifestations properly. Not to forsake, but to understand that it is truly uh, the heart of this chapter. So that's what Paul is correcting right off the get-go. Number, here's what the next portion says. Especially that you may what? You may prophesy. Everyone say prophesy. All right, so desire the gifts, these manifestations, but especially prophecy, all right? So he's telling us prophecy is this, and I said this uh, last week and I think the week before, to utter forth, to declare a thing which can only be known by divine revelation. It's telling the heart of God, okay? It's admonishing or building up. Prophecy always builds up. Everyone say build up, all right? For one, verse uh, uh, 2 says, For one who speaks in tongues speaks not to men, but to God. All right? So speaking in tongues, all right? I know. How many of you come from Pentecostal backgrounds? How many of you come from a different background, a a, a denominational background? Um, 
you may not uh, have been taught these things because oftentimes a lot of people overlook these things. But speaking in tongues, listen, is not something that we should be afraid of because Paul talks about it. He says, hey, I pray that all of you should speak in tongues. He, he actually says that in this chapter. And he, he even goes on to say, hey, I speak in tongues more than all of y'all, not as a bragging thing, but, but he's making a point. But speaking in tongues is one of the gifts of the Spirit, uh, of the Holy Spirit. And, and what happens when you have been baptized in the Spirit? All right, you've been, you've been immersed down. Uh, you've been overcome by the Spirit of God. This gift, this speaking in tongues. Tongues, what happens is we speak in tongues. We have utterances that we don't necessarily understand, but it's the Holy Spirit that is praying on our behalf, all right? And, and we see this in the book of Acts, the people in Acts chapter 2. A lot of people don't want to talk about the book of Acts. We'll talk about everything else in the New Testament, but the book of Acts because it challenges us. But in the book of Acts, people in the city there, they heard those in the upper room praying in tongues, and they heard them praising God. And so, uh, you know, prayer language, is to God, all right? That, that speaking in tongues is praying to God, all right? Understand that. Uh, when I pray in tongues, and I do, when I pray in tongues, it's not for me to pray to you, but it's God, me praying to God, okay? The Holy Spirit praying for me, and I'll, I'll, I'll dig into this. Not to be confused here, all right, there is a thing called a message in tongues and followed by interpretation. We have those occasionally here in, in this church, and, and, but here's what we need to understand. Prophecy builds up. Everyone say prophecy builds up. Prophecy builds up, and it tells people. It admonishes the congregation, okay? Message and, and interpretation, okay, it's a little bit different. It gives praise and adoration to God, all right? Did you catch that? I want you to get that in your heart. Prophecy is for the congregation. It builds up the congregation. Message and interpretation, uh, tongues and interpretation, is, is adoration to God, all right? And not instruction for the congregation, all right? So prophecy is for the congregation. Tongues and interpretation is for glorifying God, all right? For, it says this, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. So this is talking about tongues. Romans 8.26 says this. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. How many are glad the spirit of God helps us in our weakness? How many of you are weak sometimes? All right. But look at this verse. It says, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought to, but the spirit himself, what, intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. There's sometimes I don't know what to pray. This is comforting to me as a pastor because sometimes I don't know what to pray. But guess who does? The Holy Spirit. Some people have come to me and say, hey, pastor, will you pray for uh, me this job? And you know what? I don't know if it's truly the will of God for that person to get that job, but the Holy Spirit does. And when I don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit knows what to pray. Amen. How many know the Holy Spirit prays perfectly? And so, uh, uh, and so look at this. Verse 3 says this. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people. Are you getting this in your heart? All right. Uh, prophecies here speaks of all speaking gifts, okay? Just so you know, we're going we're gonna to pull those in. And all speaking gifts, they do this. They, uh, they do this. They edify the church. They should edify. What does that mean? They comfort and they e exhort, okay? Those three things. You can write those down. Uh, you know, prophecy, they should edify, they should comfort, or they should exhort. Should be one of those three or all of those three or a couple of those or, or whatever that is. So Paul says the gift of prophecy is more beneficial to the congregation than tongues. 
You know why? Because you can understand what I am saying. And so prayer language or tongues is God word. Prophecy is directed towards people. Okay? Uh, for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So when someone gives a prophecy in one of our church settings, it will be either for edification through which the Lord builds up edify that's what that means to build up to build up the body or exhortation which is like this hey it's like your mom when you ran track and at the end of the race come on baby come on come on come on you can go you can make it you can you can keep going exhortation or comfort through which there'll be moments in life where you just need God to just wrap his loving arms around you and tell you that he loves you verse 4 says this the one who speaks in tongues in in, in a tongue builds up who Builds up who? All right, that's important. So how is your faith built up? How do we exercise our faith muscle? You hear me talking about that. Romans ten seventeen tells us our faith is built by, number one, the word of God. All right, the word of God, right? You read the word of God, your faith will be built. All right, number two, faith is built through seasons of prayer, right? Sometimes you don't know what to do and you just latch on to God and you pray and you pray and you pray until you can't pray anymore, right? And your faith is built up, right? Faith is built up through worship and adoration to Jesus Christ. In a worship setting, your faith can be, can be uh, uh, built up at Jude 20, and here in 1 Corinthians, here we, we are told that faith is built up by praying in tongues. It's another one. So uh, how many have ever felt torn down or beat up spiritually, worn out, or just like life is caving in on you? Paul's telling us, hey, here, here's a weapon for the spirit-filled person. It's, it's in your tool arsenal to pull out and to use. My faith is wavering. Well, when's the last time you spent time praying in the spirit? Come on, when's the last time you got into your Bible? When's the last time you just prayed? Pray in the Spirit. Utilize your prayer language and watch your faith grow. So when we pray in tongues, the Holy Spirit will pray for me. Verse 14 in this chapter uh, will tell us that. But, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. And so although I'm praying in the Spirit and it's building me up, it has no impact on anyone else. Unless it's an accomp accompanied by an interpretation, all right? So there's, there's a difference between tongues and, and interpretation and my prayer language, okay? Those are, those are two different things. We, we need to understand those things. So my, my prayer language is, hey, when I'm in devotion with the Lord and God begins to speak to me and, and he is praying through me and, and, and I am being built up because of the, the Holy Spirit's praying things that I don't even realize I need to be praying for or understanding, right? But then, but then in service, in a service setting, somebody may give a message in tongues and somebody uh, uh, may give a, an interpretation to that tongues. That is to build up the body of God. It's adoration. It tells what God has done. But prophecy brings forth and tells the heart of God through words that edify, exhort, and comfort. So it'll impact others. Uh, let me just give you this. You want to discern, discern if a prophecy is correct? You want to know how to do that? Look at the fruit of it. Look at the fruit of it. Matter of fact, Paul tells us to do that. Number one, does it edify? Does it comfort? Does it exhort? Those are the three, those are the three things we've got to look at. If someone says, hey, I've got a prophecy, and it doesn't do one of those things, they, they are wrong. 
They are out of order. Well, uh, you know, some people say, well, you know, that didn't do anything for me. Well, you know, maybe maybe it was for someone else. Now, I want you to look at this next verse. You ready? Buckle up. I don't know what denomination you come from. I don't know everyone's background, but I want you to look at what Paul says, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He says this, now I want you all to what? I want you all to what? Come on, say it, people. Oh, pastor, that is uncomfortable for me. You don't know my background. You don't know where I come from. I believe Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote this in a church that was chaotic. They were, they were, they were like speaking in tongues just over, over abuse of it. But he says this, I want you all to what? Speak in tongues. And, and I believe God can fill you, baptize everyone in the Holy Spirit, and that you could speak in tongues. But, it, it, but here's what I will say. It does not say, do not do it. It does not say, do not do it. All right? In chapter 12, Paul is talking about tongues and interpretation in which not everyone will operate. But, but here he's talking about speaking in tongues or in your prayer language. So, Jesus said this in Mark 16, 17. You can write this down. One of the signs of those who believe in, in, in that they would speak with what? New tongues. Not my words, Jesus' words. The proof you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Listen to me. Listen to me. Uh, there's a lot of controversy and a lot of people say this. What is the proof of you've been filled with the Holy Spirit? You know, the proof is this. Jesus said you will receive power. So that's what Jesus said. You will see power, pneuma, breath of God, the Holy Spirit breathed into. It's what he told his disciples. You will receive power, power or boldness to be the Lord's witness, number one. And the second thing here is tongues is the least of all the gifts. It, it, it is the least, um, and it doesn't mean it's not important, but it's the least of all the gifts. Listen, I, I have a hard time understanding this, and maybe maybe you don't, maybe you can got a better grasp on this, but I have yet to see anyone move in prophecy, in words of wisdom, in words of knowledge that does not have a prayer language. I know you, you may say, hey, well, I, I know someone who does. I, I, I have yet to ever see somebody that does not operate at least in, in, in tongues, and then they operate in that. doesn't mean that they're out of order, but, you know, it just, just means that, hey, I think God works these things through us. We, we grow in these things in the Spirit. So this verse tells me that, that speaking in tongues is for everyone who will receive it. Let me ask you this. What's the posture of your heart? What's the posture of your hands? Well, I don't speak in tongues. Then you won't receive it. But if you say, hey, God, here I am. I'm your vessel. I don't understand it. It's beyond my own capacity. Guess what? A lot of things that we do in this faith walk are beyond our own capacity. It says this, but even more, prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than those who speak in tongues. That's why I say this. That's why I say prophecy is a greater gift than tongues because Paul said it. I didn't say it. Paul said it. Unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So when the gift of tongues is followed by interpretation, the entire church can be built up through praise and prayer that is offered. But without interpretation, prophecy is infinitely more valuable to the congregation. You know why? Because you heard it in a language that you can understand. Verse 6. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, 
how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? So it's through the word of doctrine and revelation and prophecy that you will grow is what Paul's saying there. Those things in a language that you understand. Here's the thing. Um, you know, if I were to say, hey, Larry, I'll pick on you, Larry, Larry Eaker. I, if I was to, to say, hey, Larry, go up here on the piano and start playing the piano. I don't know if Larry, Larry, you don't play the piano. Okay. It would be atrocious, right? Because it wouldn't have any form or function. But you put somebody who is classically trained on the piano, guess what? There's form and there's function and it operates right. Look at this. Verse 8 says this. And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who, uh, uh, who will get ready for battle? So it's, this is uh, a military example. So uh, in the military, right? Uh, the reveille, those things mean something, right? Taps at nighttime. What's that mean? Go to bed. Right? And so they understand these things. And so uh, like, a, like a bugle player, hey, while they have signals, you know, during the day, if, I, if the bugle player for the military gets up and just starts playing random notes, how will the soldiers know, hey, am I supposed to go to battle? Am I supposed to go to breakfast? Am I supposed to go to bed? And Paul is making a reference here. Hey, it's not chaos, but it is in order. Amen? There's an order uh, in music. And thank God there is. Musicians are disciplined to know, hey, this is a time I play. This is a time I'm not supposed to play. Here's the thing, all right? I'm not going to pick on anybody, but I'm just going to just, just lay this out there. Some churches operate like a fifth grade band. Got people playing notes in the wrong place. And anybody ever been to a fifth grade band concert? God bless their hearts. Whew. I remember Wyatt was in band in fifth grade, and, and he had a concert. And I thought, oh, I'm going to film this. Whew. Man, it was atrocious. But, but, but some churches, they, they operate, and, and, and there's just random notes going on. It's chaos. There's no structure. There's no order. There's no direction. But if we're walking in wisdom and love, guess what? We will be in sync with the director, which is the Holy Spirit. And then what happens is when he guides us in those gifts, guess what? It is a beautiful orchestra. It is music. It is beautiful. It's a beautiful symphony orchestrated by God. So uh, I'll say this. Out of all the churches, I want you to look at this. And, 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 you know, you can say, man, the church of Corinth was crazy. But out of all the churches that Paul wrote to, the Corinthians were the only ones that abused these gifts of the Spirit. You don't see it in the, the church at Ephesus. You don't see it in the church at Philippi. You don't see it, see it in the region of Galatia. Matter of fact, uh, and, and Philippi was a powerful church that started off by a demon-possessed girl and a jailer and his family. So, but, but the gifts operated there. And then the, the church at Ephesus was, was a powerful uh, bunch who, you know, Timothy was the pastor there. They, they prayed in the Holy Spirit because Paul told them in Ephesians chapter 6, hey, one, one of the, uh, uh, when he's talking about the armor of God, one of the last things that he said, his tongues. Hey, that is one of the pieces that you have to help fight. So look at this, verse 9. So with ourselves, if with our tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. And the point that, that he's making here is this. If I came in here and just spoke in tongues and spoke in tongues, 
it may benefit me, but in a congregational setting, it would not benefit any of you. I remember when we were in Guatemala earlier this year, we we stopped at a we walked to a roadside store to to buy some snacks, which was our thing to do, and uh, it was Tyler, Big Tyler, Tyler uh, Calver and and Kendra and Braden and Zaley and I, and, we, and maybe maybe Marcus. I don't remember there. Was, I don't remember who was all there, but I, we, we had a language barrier. We didn't have someone with us that could interpret what we were trying to ask for to this poor little girl who was speaking Spanish, and we're all English speakers. We're trying to point to her. We want, we want that drink, and she's like, you know, and, we, and there was a confusion. She'd grab the wrong drink. No, 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 not that one. And there was a language barrier, and we really had that, you know, I had, to, I had to pull out my Google Translate and, and you know, purple purple soda that's what i want purple soda right but paul is saying uh that that uh a known language is more beneficial he never once says you can't speak in tongues in the corporate session but he's saying it's more beneficial for young believers and that who may not understand the gifts of the spirit and to unbelievers if we speak in a known language there are doubtless many different languages in the world and none is without meaning but if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. Uh, when I've been on missions trip and I've been to Brazil and I've been in a car with where everyone else spoke uh, Portuguese except me. And they're having this language and they're talking back and forth and all I'm doing is back there going, I have no idea what they're saying. And they're looking and laughing at me and I'm like, they could be calling me ugly for all I know. I, I remember a, a Spanish uh, congregation came and used our church facility when my parents were pastoring in California. And I, I came and I think I unlocked the building for them. And they were having service. And I, I, I positioned myself in the back of the church. And they were worshiping God. And it was all... I mean, I didn't know what was going on. I mean, I could sense and I could feel the presence of the Lord in the building. And I was just back there. I didn't have uh, understanding. And, and I'll never forget the, uh, one of the young men came back to me and he said, he said I, I speak English. And he said, I, I, he goes, I, I want you to understand. He goes, I know you don't understand what we're saying because it's in Spanish. He goes, but I know that you feel the presence of the Lord. I'm like, man, 100%. I'm right there with you. But look at this. It's about, about you know, it's more valuable for me to get up here and speak in English or southern Indiana, right? If I was to get up here and speak in Spanish, Marianne would be the only one that knew what what I was saying. Verse 12, maybe you speak Spanish, I don't know, maybe there are more. So so with our, uh, yourself, since we are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in what? Building up the church. That's the purpose of these gifts, to build up the church. The Corinthian church were using these in excess, and there was confusion, and it was crazy. It said people were zealous and, and for these spiritual expressions or manifestations. And, and Paul says, hey, good for you. Way, way to pursue them, but, but seek after the gift of prophecy speaking to people by, by the Spirit in a language all can understand, words that, that are simple to embrace, words that edify, comfort, and exhort. So I don't know... Um, I've grown up in a spirit-filled church my whole life, and I've seen people abuse, overuse the gifts to the point that they're no longer building up, but dividing and causing confusion. Right? I've seen it. 
some of you come from different denominational backgrounds and you're already you're uneasy because I'm just talking about the Holy Spirit. You're you're scared to death already. Can I tell you this? And 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 Paul would go on to say this a little bit further in this chapter. God is not the author of confusion. Never has been, never will be. When God created the earth, it was done in order. First day this, second day this, third day this, fourth day this, right? And so uh, God is not the author of confusion. And oftentimes our zealousness overcomes some and they feel the need to always have a word or, or something like that. But, but if God is not the author of confusion, then, then I'll say this. God will not interrupt himself. Okay? What do you mean by that, Pastor? I've seen this so many times. Pastor's giving an altar call. And someone in the back of the service, pastor's trying to, man, pursuing, God, God's got a purpose for you. And, you know, all you need to do is come to know Jesus. And someone in the back being moved by the Holy Spirit, maybe feeling something, give up and, and give a message in tongues. And, and the very thing that God was trying to pursue someone, I, I, you know, I've seen it so many times. It stopped people from coming to know Christ. God will anoint, typically will anoint one person at a time for a moment. Okay? Why? Because God is a God of order. And if you're not sure, hey, I don't know, is this out of order? Hey, you know what you could do? Come talk to me. Come grab me over there and say, hey, I feel like this is what the Lord's telling me right now. And listen, I'm the shepherd of this house. I I have to know if it's right or wrong. I'll tell you, hey, this is for now or this is for later. Can you hold that thought or can you do this? Therefore, it says this in verse 13, therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. All right. So this is talking about uh, a message in tongues with interpretation. And um, speaking of tongues and interpretation, sometimes someone speaks in tongues and sometimes, sometimes someone else interprets, right? We've had that happen here. Sometimes some um, have people have, been, have learned that, hey, you can't do both because they look at verse 26. I'll break that down when we get to verse 26. Uh, but, but this verse tells me that the person who speaks in tongues, they don't have to give the interpretation, but they should pray for the interpretation. All right? All right. So, therefore, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that what? He may what? Interpret. All right. How many are with me? You guys with me? All right. I know. We're, we're, we're going through some deep water. Verse 14. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So although when I, I pray in the spirit or, or in tongues, I don't understand necessarily what I'm praying in my spirit. The deepest part of me, the core of my being, is being built up miraculously and beautifully. That's, that's what happens. Verse 15. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praises with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind also. So uh, this is where most people miss it. They say this, you know, I'm, I can get under the blood of Jesus. I can get on board with that, but I, this is not for me. Um, Here's what they say, you know, I, you know, I, I would do that Holy Spirit thing, but I, uh, it'll put me in a trance. My eyes will be gazed, and I'll lose control of my body. 
You know, that's what they think. They automatically think that. It's like, and I'll shake. And they've seen bad examples of, of what it is to move in the, in the spirit of God. But this is simply not true. You know, we miss it. Paul tells us, I will pray with my spirit, meaning it's a choice that I make. All right? He'll go on to otherwise confirm what I'm saying here in, in just a little bit. So, so just like our, our natural prayers, you say, well, I don't know. It just seems odd to, to speak in tongues. How many were good prayers when you were two or three years old? How many remember uh, my mom, she prayed with me every night. And she, we, we quoted the same prayer every night. Why? So I would learn to pray. Practice. Practice, right? And so we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And I could still quote that prayer to this day. I could still pray for all my aunts and uncles and my grandparents and everyone. Every, and the whole line, just like it was. But I, but I learned. But here's the thing. Um, it, it's saying I, I will pray right now with words I, I don't understand because God is inspiring them. And I, it's what it ultimately takes faith because you say, hey, God, I'm ultimately trusting you in this process. Praying in the spirit is, is not a feeling I feel but a decision that I make. And once I do it, man, it's very easy. A lot of people get tripped up there. Speaking in tongues is a beautiful expression for me personally because sometimes I don't know how to pray. Sometimes I'm tired. Sometimes I'm upset. Sometimes my attitude stinks. Sometimes my mind is fried, right? So I pray in the Spirit. And the Spirit edifies, it builds up. Prayer language is, is available to anyone. So look at this, verse 16. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when it does not know what you're saying? So basically, this is what it's saying. During that time, uh, since the beginning of time, there are two words that every language knows. And this is the first one. Everyone say amen. You know what amen means? So be it. Everyone say amen. So be it. Right? What do we say? Pastor makes a point. Amen. So be it in my life. Right? That's what we said. Here's the other word that, that everyone knows. Everyone say, Alleluia. It's the same in every language. 10,000 praises is what it means, literally. Okay? Those two words. So, and so what Paul is saying here, hey, how can you say amen when someone's speaking in tongues when you don't know what they're praying? You don't even know what you're amen and to, Right? And so the Corinthians said amen when, when prayer ascended, and that, that's the way it should be. But in most prayer meetings, uh, oftentimes people pray and nod off. And some of you have nodded off tonight. Wake up in the name of Jesus. Everyone say amen. So be it, right? Amen is a way of saying, hey, we come into agreement with prayers, right? With the message, with worship. We can simply say amen, Lord, so be it. Uh, with with my brother who's praying. So look at this, verse 17. For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Verse 19. Nevertheless, in a church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in tongues. Pretty bold statement, really, when you think about it. For anyone in Paul's time or now... You know, you may say, well, Paul's just quenching the spirit by putting parameters on the congregational expression of tongues. But here's what he did before he did that. He said, hey, I want to remind you, man, I, I pray in the spirit more than any of you. I, I, I want you to understand when, I, when I'm alone and I'm with the Lord, man, that, that is my, my language. Even so, uh, in the congregational setting, 
He chose to speak that which would be understood by all. So he doesn't say you can't speak in tongues in a congregational setting, but he's saying this, hey, uh, you know, in order for God to accomplish what he needs to, hey, maybe at times, you know, it, it's better that, that I don't. It's that wisdom thing, that, that love thing, that discernment thing. You know, I, I, uh, I th- begin to think about this. Um, Imagine with me, close your eyes for just a second. Go back, think of Jerusalem in 25 AD. I want you to think of the Mount of Olives, and some of you can picture what that looks like. These uh, like adobe-style houses, and dirt dirt roads, and no electricity. And I want you to imagine next to that there is a river, all right, a big river, whatever river you want to imagine, Mississippi River or the Wabash or, you know, just not, not, not the uh, White River. It's dirty. Don't, let's, don't, let's not pick it. But p- pick a river. And then on the other side of that river, come on, I want you to think about modern-day New York City. I want you to think about lights. I want you to think about uh, streets and hustle and bustle and, and lots of things and loud noises. Now look at me. So you got that picture of ancient Jerusalem, and you got modern-day New York, and you got this river. So this is what we need to understand. Let me help you here. This is, a, I think, just a good, a good thing. that This helps me to understand this. Things and principles of, of the Old Testament and things that happened there, you know, in that time frame, that the early church, guess what? You know, modern things change, right? We drive cars now. They didn't drive cars then. We have electricity now. They didn't have electricity. We have, we have things now that they don't have. And how many know that times change? How many know that the Spirit of God does not change? All right? God is the same today, yesterday, and what? Forever. He does not change. So the very thing that was good for them, guess what, is good for us in modern times. Now, here's where it gets a little bit, uh, a little bit tricky. Now, you say, well, wait a second here. Uh, the, the key is moving these principles and these giftings into modern times. We, we have, you know, um, unlike the churches then, we have churches now that run 25,000 people. Now, think about that. That's a lot of people, right, in, in America. Now, imagine if you were in a church with 25,000 people and they all decided to speak in tongues at once. Chaos. And that's why Paul is putting order and structure on, on certain things. And here's what I could tell you. One of the things that we can do as we grow and as we continue to grow. Hey, listen, uh, is, is certain things, you know, maybe, you know, sometimes the musicians, you know, and some of you don't even realize as musicians, they have earbuds in and they're hearing music that's just in and they can't hear necessarily everything that's going on out here. And you may say, well, man, they're not stopping because someone's speaking. It's because they don't hear. But, but there are ways that we can work around that. Hey, there's things that you can do. Hey, yeah, I feel like I have something I need to give to the Lord. Come talk to pastor. I feel this. And here's what I'll tell you. This is the way God operates. If God has a word for his people and it's not for that time, it will be ready when it's time to give. Say, well, I can't give it now, so I'm not going to give it at all. Then it wasn't ready at all. All right? So, so the key is this, bringing this ancient the ancient truths into modern times. Verse 20, I, I thought that was a pretty cool way to look at that. Brothers, uh, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. Children there uh, means ignorant. Everyone say ignorant. Don't 
be ignorant in your thinking. So he's saying this, in the things of God, don't be ignorant. Don't be, don't be dumb. Be, be innocent in evil. Okay, be ignorant in evil, but don't be ignorant in the things of God. Grow up, all right? Look at your neighbor say, grow up. Verse 21, in the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even when they will not listen to me, says the Lord, thus tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers but for believers. All right, here we go. This is a very uh, tough text. You ready for this? Deuteronomy chapter 28. The Lord said, as my people turn their back on me and become cold toward me, they will hear the tongues of other nations when foreigners invade their land, okay? This is a prophecy to the nation Israel, okay, in Deuteronomy. God says this, hey, when you guys start turning away from me, you're going to hear other nations coming in to invade. You're going to hear foreign nations invading and speaking languages. And, and we see this fulfillment of prophecy in Isaiah chapter 28 when Isaiah is preaching, and he's preaching line by line, and they're getting bored, and they're coming. They're, they're like, man, this is so boring. You, you do this, this teaching line by line, and, and, but, but what happens it when... Because of God's people's own indifferences towards God, God allows the Assyrians to come in and take their land. That's what happens. And so because of this historical reference, when we say tongues are a sign for them that believe not. All right, you ready for this? Buckle up. It's my opinion, all right, that he is speaking not of believers, but, but believers who, like in Isaiah's day, had grown indifferent or callous towards the things of God. Not, don't think of unbeliever here as a sense of someone who does not know Christ. Think of it as a believer who was red hot for God and now they're grown, hey, they believe that Jesus Christ has done these things. But they say for whatever reason, these, these tongue things, these spirit filled things, they're not for me. That's for a different group. And they say, hey, no, God doesn't work that way anymore. God doesn't move in that manner to this day. But look at this, verse 23. If therefore the whole church comes together... And all speak in tongues, all right? And an outsider or an unbeliever enter, will they not say, are you all out of your minds? What in the world is going on in there? As a valid sign, as a proper expression of tongues may be, the improper use of them in congregational settings is helpful to no one, all right? Therefore, there may be times where it's not necessary or in order to speak in tongues. All right, let me help you out. It's called discernment. It's called discernment. God, what, what are you doing in this moment? It takes wisdom. It takes love. What is love? Love, when chapter 13 talks about love, it's putting someone else in front of you. God, it's, it's not for me to be edified, remember? But at this moment, Lord, maybe someone's coming to know you. So maybe right now I just need to just let you do what you're going to do in this moment. Let me pray right here underneath my breath. Verse 24. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he's convicted by all. He is called to account by all. So when prophecy is shared through the teaching of the word or through individual utterances, even those who have not been exposed to the manifest, manifestation of the spirits, they gain insight because they hear the word of God. They hear prophecy. They, it's coming forth. When I was growing up, we had a, uh, a young lady that lived with, 
lived with us, um, she was a foreign exchange student from Japan. She grew up Buddhist. My parents were pastors, Pentecostal pastors. When she moved in with us, my parents had a rule. Hey, you come to church. You didn't have a choice. You come to church. So she come to America, and she sat down in the front row, and she had no clue what in the world she was getting into, right? And, and I'll never forget, within a few Sundays of being there, the Holy Spirit began to just start dealing with her. And she would just cry in services and, and, and started to deal with her heart, began to deal with her in that moment. And so this is one of those moments, even though she may not have understood everything, all right, she had a little bit of a language barrier, but she heard the prophecy, the teaching of the word, the preaching of the word. You know, preaching also has prophecy in it. Yes, I've prepared something, but there's moments where Holy Spirit stops me and checks me and says, hey, you need to say this in this moment. And prophecy goes forth, and it began to move, and it began to change her. Verse 25 says this, the secrets of the heart are disclosed. And and so falling on his face, he will worship God. These people that come in and hear prophecy and declare that God is really among you. So what, that's what Mio did. She came in and she understood, man, there's, I, I may not understand all this, but this is real. When God, God's word is spoken through uh, the power of his spirit. So um, in the sanctuary, in a prayer meeting, come on, I love prayer meeting around here. Listen, worship at home or uh, it, it convinces and it convicts through a single message, miraculously custom made for each hearer. You know what's interesting to me? Sometimes after church, I'll greet everybody, and I'll be in the back, and someone will come up and say, I really I like this part of your sermon. And I'm like, I did not preach that in my sermon at all. You say, well, what? Yeah. But what I've learned, you know, a few times I took offense to that. I thought, well, they aren't really listening to me. But what I've learned is the Holy Spirit speaks to everyone differently. And sometimes the things that I think I'm saying you may be hearing a little bit different than what I'm actually, and it, it, the Holy Spirit may be dealing with you in a whole different way. Look at this. Here's the next part of this, all right? I'm going to try to get through this fast. Orderly worship. Everyone say orderly worship. Verse 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a, mess, uh, a revelation, a tongue, and an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. So this is the verse that a lot of people use that says that one person should give a tongue and somebody else should do an interpretation. But here's what we need to understand about this verse. Look, where's the question mark uh, there in this statement? What then, brothers, right? Question mark. It's what It says question mark right there. But uh, this is, uh, a lot of people get tripped up on this. But if you understand Greek, come on, Greek does not have punctuation like like we have punctuation. So what the writer of this, the, the people that looked at this, they tried to look at this and say, hey, where's the best place to put, put the punctuation so it makes sense to the reader? But you can change the whole meaning of this by moving that question mark all the way, and it's my opinion that it belongs at the end of interpretation. Okay, so it changes it. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation? And, and so let all things be done, what, for building up. The, so uh, here's the thing. The context of this statement strongly indicates that it actually belongs uh, after that word interpre- interpretation. And this would change the meaning of the verse to mean this. How is it that every one of you is trying to get in on the act when you meet together? Everyone wants to give a message. Everyone wants to, to give a prophecy. And it's, again, it goes back to this. It's Paul using a little bit of sarcasm, maybe being a little bit rhetorical in his question, maybe a little bit of hyperbole, pressing a point here. But we can't have order in the service if everyone's trying to do something, right? 
Verse 27, if any speak in, the, in tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. So Paul's answer to the, to the confusion was to only allow two or three tongues in interpretation in any given service. I've been in services where I've saw three and then I've seen pastors go, that's it. We're stopping. We're going to pray. Because there's a little, it's starting to get a little out of order. All right. And, and, and so uh, uh, I've seen that in, in moments that one of my uh, uh, pastors that I was set under, he, this young lady, she was moved to come to the altar while he is speaking. And she didn't just come to the altar. She came down and she was wailing and flailing all over the, the stairs. And, and he's trying to preach and he's, he's doing it really good. And there was a point where he stopped and he said, and he called her my name, and he, he called her my name, and he said, L- listen to me, you need to stop right now. And, and he had someone come down, he goes, you're causing a disruption in the service, and, and I'm trying to do something here. And I remember, man, the church was quiet. Everyone was like, ooh. But here's what we need to understand is, you know, you know the devil, man, can try to trick people and try to trip people up, but how many know that God is a God of order? Amen. So if revelation is made to another sitting there, uh, let there be, uh, let the first be silent. So what he's saying here is if someone, first person gives a prophecy and the second person gives up a prophecy and then the first person's like, I want to say this. You say, nope, you're done. Sit down, be quiet. That's what he's saying. All right. And so verse 31, for you can call, uh, uh, you can, you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. 32, and the spirit of prophets are subject to the prophets. All right, let me just say this right here, right now. Some people say, I just outburst. No, you control that within you. All right, you control that within you. The spirit is subject to the prophet. If you are one that prophesies, you can control that. All right, that's what that means. All right, um, and so, matter of fact, it, it, it is of, of God. Uh, it, again, God will not interrupt himself. If teaching is being given, it's not time for a prophetic word unless it's from that teacher or preacher. Matter of fact, if, if God, uh, if it is of God and you are out of order, the same prophetic word uh, will be there when the time is correct for the hearers to hear. So, verse 34. The woman, uh, all right, get, get ready, buckle up, everyone. <laughs> Paul shifts gears really fast here. Are you ready for this? The woman, the women should be, should keep silent in the churches. Let's bow our heads and go home. No, I'm joking. How do you go from tongues to this? Man, uh, whew. All right. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. So um, remember here. This is under the heading of order, order in a service, order in a service, all right? There's a lot of debate on this. Some conservative doctrines take this at face value and say no woman can teach, no woman can do this. And um, the more liberal theologies look at it in in its context and say a woman can teach, you know, uh, if she's under submission under a man or or she can teach. Uh, and, And this is interesting to me. There's three things, and if you go back and look at the, the teaching that I did on this in um, 
Timothy. Man, I think you'll find some great insight on this. Um, here's what, what I'll say about this. I think you have to be careful picking and choosing where the context of the time is just for the time and it's not just for the moment. You've you got to be careful doing that because if you do it here, you've got to do it in other places, all right? So this seems uh, contradictory to what Paul said in, in chapter uh, 11 when he said that women should prophesy, right? Remember that? Chapter 11, he said women should prophesy and women should pray. And then he says, women, be quiet. So is he contradicting himself? No, he's not. It, it suggested that Paul is dealing with a particular issue in the Corinthian church. And so what's the issue? In the synagogue, in the Jewish synagogues, hey, the women would sit on one side, the men would sit on the other side, the wives would be over here, and the men would be over here, and they'd be teaching. And the women, in the middle of teaching, they would have a misunderstanding on something. That they'd look up and look at their husband across the way and say, Joe, does that mean this, 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 and disrupt the service? All right, and so what had crept into the Corinthian church, the Gentile church, was the same thing. They had the women on one side, the men on the other side, and, and men, it was causing all kinds of confusion. So if there is anything they desire to learn, talking about women, let them ask their husbands at home. Don't question things at church in the middle of sermons. Go ask your husbands. Oh, some of you say, I don't want to ask my husbands these things, you know. Husbands. Let me ask you this. Would you be able to answer your wife's questions about the Bible if she asked? Oh, that's tough. If you are, are the one who says a woman can't teach, you better be able to answer the questions that she has when, when she comes home. I'm, I'm just throwing it out there. I, hey, I didn't write it. It's just, really, you know. Men, if, if you don't lead, you, you remember in Judges, Barak was supposed uh, to lead in Judges, and, and Deborah told him, God will give victory to a woman. And God raised up a woman, and she took, took, took the place, and she did it, right? So, so men, we ought to lead, and women, uh, you know, and, and when, we, when we fail to lead, guess what? Man, there's been some awesome women that have rose up and have led and, and done well. So, uh, so it says this, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Well, I don't like that, Pastor. Well, you just get in line. There's a whole lot in the scripture that pushes you, right? The context suggests speak after either uh, the judging of prophecy or something uh, for the leadership in the church to do or, or disruptive speaking is what it's talking about. So I feel personally this lines up with First Timothy chapter 2 teaching. And if you go back and you listen to what I say, I gave, I gave three things about, about three different views that different uh, groups take on that. Um, but First Timothy chapter 2 teaching that a woman should be silent and not usurp authority over a man. And the reason for this, all right, and I talk about this in, in, in Timothy is that Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived first. All right, that, that's the, the first thing. But I really like this, this, this theologian, uh, Alan Redoth, he, he points out that Paul uses the ancient Greek word laleo. Everyone say laleo. All you women should say, thank you for Lelio, all right? Listen, Lelio, it means this, to talk, to question, to argue, to profess, or to chatter. Some of you say, I have Lelio in the car with my wife all the time. And, and this, this Bible theologian said, Redpath, he says this, it has nothing to do uh, with prophecy. He said women should, be, should prophesy, women should pray, and, and it's not about public speaking. It's just in the middle of this, they should not disrupt the service. So according to him, he says, women, hey, go prophesy, go preach, go teach. 
and, and know that the congregation is, uh, um, you know, don't argue and don't, don't chatter and don't question. Verse 36, you ready for this? We're almost done, I promise, I'm, we're there. Or was it from that the word of God came, or are you only the ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Everything I wrote, you all should speak in tongues. You should pursue the gifts. You should pursue love. All of these things, all right? Verse 39, so my brothers earnestly desire to what? And not forbid speaking in tongues. I didn't write it. Paul wrote it. He says this: if you if you call yourself a prophet and you 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 know you say I don't recognize that, and he says you're not recognized. Verse forty. But all things should be done what? In what? All right. This is for the Pentecostal people. We need to circle this verse. <laughs> Because sometimes we, man, we, we take the train off the tracks. Paul says, adhere, adhere to my teaching. Seek and desire prophecy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues. I don't know. That's pretty straightforward. He's not mincing words there. It's not confusing. The last verse has two parts I want you to look at. But all things should be done decently and in order. Things must be done in decency and in order. So number one is things got to be done in decency and in order, right? Here's the second thing. But let all things what? Be done. doesn't say don't do this and don't do this, but all things, all things be done. Uh, listen, I don't want to call out denominations or anything like that. I'm going to pick on a little bit of everybody. But, but, but our Baptist brothers have the first part down perfectly. Decency and order. They do. While our Pentecostal brothers excel at the last. We'll do all things. It may be chaotic. But what I believe the Lord has for the Baptists and the Pentecostals, and honestly for his church, the bride of Christ, all right, is to allow prophecy, tongues, and knowledge and wisdom to flow in his body. But in decency and in order. And most people, how many of you have a pair of running shoes in here? How many use your running shoes to actually run? That's what I thought. Right? But here's the thing. We have running shoes. We may not run in our running shoes, but we don't throw them away because one day we may run in our running shoes, right? Same thing. We have this arsenal that God has given us, these, these gifts of the Spirit. We have them. Why don't we use them? Let's pursue. Everyone say pursue. Seek the gifts and then and use them in a way that is harmonious to the conductor, the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit's in, involved, man, whew, man, I've been in some powerful services where God just and gifts are manifested and things have happened, and but it's it's been divine by the Holy Spirit. It, he could have only orchestrated it. The Holy Spirit is portrayed as a dove, right? I love it. He's not a hawk coming in to kill us. Praise God. He's not a vulture coming in to pick us apart, right? He's not going to come over a dead congregation and pick us apart. No, 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 no. But but he, he's coming. A dove is a bird of beauty, a bird of gentleness, and a bird of peace. 
And when the gifts and the manifestation of the Spirit are present, guess what? And they're operating in proper form, the effect will be this. It'll be beauty, gentleness, and peace. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this word. Lord, I know. <laughs> Lord, this is a challenging bit of scripture, God. And and maybe, maybe uh, challenge some people doctrinally tonight. But God, your Holy Spirit can reveal things to our hearts, to our lives. God, I pray, Lord, that we would be hearers of your word and not just, uh, we would be hearers and doers of your word, not just hearers of your word. God, I, I pray, Lord, that these words would sink into our hearts. Lord, you have called us for such a time as this. God, and I believe more than ever before coming into 2024, Lord, knocking on the door, coming into 2024, Lord, we need the Holy Spirit to manifest itself amongst us, to be with us, Lord, to lead and guide us. God, I pray, Lord, that you would forgive us, Lord, if we have neglected or denied your gifts. God, we, we will all one day be held responsible for the times that we used our gifts or did not use our gifts when we should have. So, God, I pray, Lord, that you would just begin to give us revelation as a church. God, I pray, Lord, that you would lead and guide us. God, I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us. God, I pray, Lord, that we would grow, God, greater and greater in you. Holy Spirit, begin to just work on us. God, in our alone time, God, as we pray, God, I pray, Lord, that you would be lifted up, Lord, that you would be magnified. God, I pray, Lord, that in our prayer time, in our private prayer language, God, our our, our language with you, God, I pray, Lord, that you uh, would be edified. But, God, I pray in moments like this, God, where teaching is happening, preaching is happening, Lord, prophecy is moving forth, the tongues and interpretation, God, God, I pray, Lord, that, that Lord, this edification of the body, Lord, that there would be exhortation, Lord, that there would be comfort, Lord, and edification, Lord, in here. God, I speak life over every person in here, God. I pray for protection over their hearts and souls. God, be with us until the next time that we come together. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen. I want to remind you next week, next Wednesday night, there is no service here. And uh, so enjoy your time with your family. Uh, Sunday morning, uh, Christmas Eve, we will have service here. We're going to have a little bit of an abbreviated service and going to have the nativity scene. How many love the nativity scene? We're going to finish the casting call uh, thing that day, take communion. So uh, some of you, if you're traveling with your family, you're going to be with your family, good for you, and God bless you. Uh, watch us online. But if if not, man, you're home, come, come be a part and uh, worship with us. God bless you, and have a great evening.